We're in Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 16 uh, this morning, and... Um, Man, uh, I explained a little bit a couple of weeks ago uh, uh, in, in the announcements of our December sermon series. Um, uh, when watching, a, 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 you know, you guys know I love movies. I'm always talking about movies. Um, when watching a character arc uh, unfold over many movies, um, it's really easy uh, to forget uh, the fundamentals uh, of who they are and um, where they started and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, you know, it really pays to go back to the first movie. It pays to go back to the origin story. Um, sometimes even these, uh, these uh, producers, they, they make uh, prequel movies. You know, they dived into a story about a character and uh, people love the character so much. Hey, let's make a prequel. How did this person start? Like, let's go to the origin story uh, of this character. And uh, it really pays to go back to the first movie or the origin story and remind ourselves of those fundamentals of who that character is and why they're doing what they're doing. Man, in preparation uh, for Star Wars is coming out. Any Star Wars fans? Uh, this, yep, me too. Uh, this 40-year Star Wars saga uh, ends. Um, I, I guess December 20th is the final Skywalker movie in the Star Wars uh, Skywalker saga. And, you know, I'm going to go see it. Um, I see all the Star Wars movies. I'm going to go check it out. But um, just recently, last week, um, I got Disney Plus for Christmas, an early Christmas present. And um, I was like, you know what? Uh, before before I watch that movie, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning and I'm going to watch the first Star Wars film. You know, I'm going to watch the first Star Wars film and uh, I rewatched it, uh, A New Hope. Uh, a New Hope, Star Wars, A New Hope. I rewatched it and uh, just to remind myself of what this is all about. You know, when you peel back all the layers that have built up over 40 years in this, uh, this saga of movies, um, you peel back all of the, the layers of what's happened. What is the core? What is the core of the Star Wars saga, right? So in a sense, we're going to do that with Jesus. We're going to do that with Jesus uh, this month uh, leading up to Christmas uh, for the next few weeks in, in this uh, origin story sermon series. And we're going to learn and we're going to be reminded of fundamentals about who Jesus is. Man, fundamentals about who Jesus is, what it all means. Man, what the Christmas story means, uh, I really want it to become fresh to us. I want it to become new again. Because I know, man, every, every December it, it rolls around and all the churches go back to the birth text. It's like every single year it happens. And it's like, oh yeah, I've heard this story before. You know, it loses its luster. It loses its, it can lose its, its sharpness and its freshness. And uh, man, I want you guys to leave December and start this new year um, with just, just a fresh vibe, a fresh perspective um, of something that we know and we've heard. And uh, maybe some of you, uh, you don't experience that. Um, I do sometimes. I experience that. So I, for myself, I really want to go into these scriptures, um, just going back to the core of the gospel message in these birth texts and coming in from that perspective. And man, as Rachel read, uh, today's scripture is the genealogy of Jesus. Man, the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, there's many genealogies in scripture uh, you'll find. There's many genealogies. It's basically like a list of names, like a, like a phone book, right? It's kind of hard to read. It's hard to follow. Man, what can I possibly learn from a genealogy? You know, uh, this is God's word. 
This is God's word. And God has something to say, um, even in these genealogies that are included in scripture. Um, you'd, be, you'd be shocked. I was shocked when I found out the, the 1984 Reader's Digest, um, they wanted to make a readable Bible. And uh, they thought to do that, they removed all of the genealogies out of scripture. <laughs> to make the Bible more readable. And I think, what a mistake that is. What a mistake that is to remove uh, the genealogies from God's word to make it more readable. We're missing out on some, out on some great truth uh, by really studying and getting deep and cutting in into these genealogies. And we're going to do that with Jesus's genealogy today. So man, Rachel uh, read the scripture. We've seen the scripture. I'm not going to read it again. Uh, we're not going to go through that again. Um, I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to uh, get into the scripture a little bit. Father, um, thank God uh, you have something to say to us uh, through your genealogy. Father, uh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who came to us in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Man, to... To be born in the world, you've got, you have to have a lineage. you got to come from somewhere. And Father, you came from somewhere when you were born in the second person, in Jesus Christ. You came from somewhere, and that's what we're going to see today. Father, I thank you for, for coming down to us and just displaying your powerful, amazing grace and your love for us and for this, this world you've created. This world is broken. It's broken and it's filled with sin. But Father, you've provided a solution. Man, and we're going to see uh, some fundamentals today through that, Father. And uh, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, what you're going to say to us. Not, uh, not in me, but through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, when you have a genealogy like this, um, in an individualistic society uh, uh, today, you know, we recommend ourselves with what? Like a resume, right? We recommend ourselves with a resume of degrees and work experiences and, and accomplishments. And in ancient times, um, in a far more communal, uh, family-oriented society, a genealogy was a resume, a genealogy was basically a resume. A genealogy was saying, this is who I am. This is who I come from. These genealogies meant a lot to these people. And it said, this is who I am. For us, you know, we use a resume today. Hey, when we go to a, co a, a, you know, a potential boss, it's like, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Well, it's the same thing back then. And genealogies were like a resume to people in ancient times saying, this is who I am. Genealogies were of great significance. They were of great significance uh, to people in ancient times. They meticulously maintained and they tracked lineages. They tracked genealogies. They took it very seriously. But like resumes today, like resumes today, people also tinkered with their genealogies. You know, we tinker with our resumes, move things around, rewrite something here and there, right? We tinker with our resumes. They tinkered with genealogies back then. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we, we leave out parts of our track record in a resume, right? We leave out parts of our track record that might make us look bad. 
it might make us look bad or unfavorable to for the job that we're pursuing or we might out, we might lie about something altogether on a resume right i've done that i've done that man before christ i i i worshiped my resume achievement and success and all that and i was always tinkering with my resume i even lied about things on my resume and people did that too back then with their genealogies. They did. They tinkered with them and they even lied about things. Um, yeah, the Herod the Great, who we're going to learn about uh, in, in next week or maybe two weeks from now, Herod the Great, he actually purged names from his public genealogy because he didn't want those people to be associated with him and his name. So he took names out of his public genealogy to, to make himself look better. A genealogical resume could be used to impress onlookers with the quality and the respectability of one's roots um, and, our, and their pedigree. Um, so they changed things. They tinkered with things. But then we get to Jesus' genealogy. We get to Jesus' genealogy, and most of the names uh, in this genealogy, you can read about their lives in the Old Testament. You can read about their lives in the Old Testament. That would actually be a really great assignment if you wanted to do. You can go through the genealogy of Jesus and you can go to the stories of these people and read about their stories. And it'll really make Jesus's genealogy come alive uh, and, and, and find uh, the meaning of those things. And um, uh, in, the, in Jesus's genealogy, uh, and as you read those scriptures in Old Testament scripture, what you find is some really startling truth you would really find some startling truth. And starting with verses one through six, uh, man, you'll see uh, names in there. There's people of faith. There's great people of faith. Like you see Abraham in there. You see Isaac. You see Jacob. Man, great people of faith. And yet if you read their stories in Genesis, you would actually come to find that, man, these people are jacked up. These people, like, they were liars. They were deceivers. You know, these are really jacked up people for how amazing uh, people of faith that they were. They were really jacked up. You'll also find it in, in these verses, there's five women. There's five women. Matthew thought to include five women in this genealogy. Now, that might not be shocking today. That might not be shocking today, but it was actually back then. That's shocking and unheard of to include women in a genealogy. That's shocking and unheard of to include women in a genealogy back then. It was a patriarchal society. It was a patriarchal society. Uh, women were considered outsiders. They were considered outsiders back then. It's not right. It's not right, but that's the way it was back then. And women were not included in genealogy. They were considered gender outsiders. Man, and three, three of them were Gentiles. So not just women, but Gentile women. So Gentiles are, are non-Jews. Matthew thought to include these three Gentile women, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth. Man, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth were Canaanites and Moabites, people outside of God's covenant in the Old Testament. Uh, they were considered unclean. They were considered less than. They were considered alien to the people of God, to Israel. They were unable to approach God and worship at his temple. They were basically racial outsiders. They were racial outsiders. And man, when, when you go back and read the stories about Tamar and Rahab, you'll find some startling stuff. Again, man, Tamar tricked her father-in-law Judah into sleeping with her. 
into sleeping with her. So we're seeing incest here. Right? And this is amid Judah being unjust to her. Judah being unjust to her. And when you look at the story of Rahab, when you read the story of Rahab, Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute who was grafted and adopted into Israel after she helped Israel take the city of Jericho. A Canaanite prostitute. And then when we get to verses 6 to 11, man, we get to verses 6 to 11, we're given a look into the kings of Jesus' lineage. Jesus comes from kings. But we look into the, the lineage and we see these kings in, in his lineage. And man, King David. King David is a man after God's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. But man, he was jacked up. When you read his story in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, he was a messed up dude. He was a messed up guy. He had a posse of soldiers called the Mighty Men of David. He had this, this group of soldiers, the Mighty Men of David, and one of them was this guy named Uriah. His name was Uriah. And David committed adultery. He committed adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and he arranged to have Uriah killed. And he did it. He had Uriah murdered on the battlefield. And he had a child with Bathsheba, and that child is Solomon, who would become king. You have King Solomon. King Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Man, the kings of Israel, when you read down that line in, the, in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, those books, the kings of Israel, they, they turned their backs on God. They turned their backs on God. They messed up royally. Pun intended. They messed up royally, leading Israel to dark times. Jesus came <laughs> from a dysfunctional family. He came from a dysfunctional family of moral, cultural, racial, gender outsiders. Think about that. Adulterers. Prostitutes. Man, he came from some messed up people. Man, there were kings. There were extremely wealthy people. There were poor people in his lineage. Wealthy people and poor people. You know, if you're, if you're trying to convince others that Jesus was the Messiah, if you're trying to convince others that Jesus is God, you would not include the stuff in a resume. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't include these things, right? Because you want to make somebody look good, right? The resume, you want to make yourself look good. So you tinker with it and you change it. Take people out or put people in. You want to make them look the best you can. And this is God we're dealing with. This is God that we're dealing with. You wouldn't include this stuff in this genealogy unless it's true. Unless it's true and you're telling the truth. And you're telling the truth and you have to. <clears throat> Matthew's like, this is the truth. 
This is the truth of the Messiah and the family that he comes from. This genealogy is an, is an excruciatingly honest resume. An excruciatingly honest genealogy. And it tells powerful truths of the fundamentals of who Jesus is and some fundamentals about what Christmas is and what Christmas means. And not only that, but how we should live. How we should live. What does all this mean? What does all of this mean? What are those fundamentals about what we must learn and, and what we must remember? Man, what are these fundamentals that we have to make fresh in our lives, to make new again in our lives and, and to never forget? Why is Christmas so special? Well, the first fundamental I want to share with you is this. You know, in the Bible, there's this concept uh, known as uncleanliness. It's known as uncleanliness. Because of sin, we are unclean and we are separate from a holy God. We are separate from a holy God. In ancient times, if you wanted to stay clean, it was thought that you had to avoid contact with the unclean. So the God's people Israel, they felt like they had to avoid contact with Gentiles. That we had to avoid contact with the unclean. Unholiness was considered contagious. Man, if I just touch you, yeah, John. <laughs> if I just touch you, I'm just going to become unholy. If I touch you, unholiness was considered contagious. I'm going to tell you something, guys. You know, though the semantics are different today, this happens today all the time. This happens today all the time, all around us. We just don't use those terms anymore of uncleanliness. We don't use those terms anymore. Today we call it discrimination. Today we call it discrimination. We're all guilty of it on some level. All of us. Even Christians. We're all guilty of it on some level. We divide ourselves. We, we classify each other, right? All, cur all cultures, they encourage their members to look down on some people to advance themselves in their sense of superiority. Race, class, gender, snobs with so much education, ignorant people with not as much education, right? People of a certain political party, people of a certain political party, our societies indoctrinate us to see some people as unclean while I'm okay. I'm good. It's them. They're unclean. They're not using the word unclean. I'm good. They're bad. Man, we even do this when it comes to matters of salvation and eternity. Good people are in, the bad people are out. The good people are in and the bad people are out. What we see here in this genealogy is God turns all of that completely upside down. He turns it all completely upside down. Jesus' lineage shows us that we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are all unclean. We are all unclean. It is God's sheer grace through faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for all of us that cleanses us. That cleanses us. And that means by faith, God's favor and eternity with him are freely available to all. All people, regardless of the ways that we classify each other. 
and the way that we divide each other. What makes us clean isn't our ability to, to reach up and touch God, our own effort. That's not what makes us clean. What makes us clean is God's grace, his grace coming down to us and touching us. And touching us. Now, how should that change the way we live? How should these truths about this genealogy change us the way that we live? Man, no matter how broken, bad, or messed up they are, we shouldn't view others as aliens, as alien or less than. No matter what. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, even in the church, man, there's lots of division over, over Trump. I, even Trump, I know. Even Trump... No matter how bad or broken or messed up they are, we shouldn't view others as alien or less than. The radical, what we're seeing in this genealogy is the radical, scandalous grace of God that should cause us to show the same grace to others around us. It doesn't matter who they are. It does not matter who they are, what they look like. We need to be willing to go to the people without power, without beauty, without status. We should still be going to people with power, with beauty, with status. But we need to be going to people without those things. Without those things too. That is Christmas. We have no power. Man, we have no beauty. We have no status and God came to us. Man, he came to us to be in community with us. The clean came to the unclean. The clean came to the unclean, and he allowed himself to come from us. From us. Think about that. Which leads us to the next fundamental. The second fundamental. In this genealogy, Jesus' humanity is fundamental. We cannot forget this. God's humanity in Christ is fundamental. Jesus is saying, this is who I am, right? When I said, talking about the resume, a resume says, this is who I am. Back then, a genealogy, if you wanted to show people who you were, you would show them your genealogy. Well, this is who I am. Man, Jesus is showing us, this is who I am. And Jesus says, I'm not you. I'm not you, but I am of you. I'm not you, but I am of you. And because of his humanity, he knows our humanity. He knows our humanity, and our humanity is broken, and yet he's not repulsed by us. He's not repulsed by us. God is not ashamed of us. Man, he can handle it. You know, I don't take for granted for one second. I know, I know most of you really well, and I know all of your stories. And we come from really messed up lineages in our families. Even I do. There's addiction. There's adultery. There's all these things. There, there's, there's abuse in our lineages. In my own lineage, there's adultery. There's family abandonment. 
in my own lineage. There's addiction in my own lineage. These things are, are in our own lineages, and yet, he can handle it. Jesus is saying, me too. <laughs> me too. The Me Too movement, that's a movement. That's a movement we need to get on, is that Me Too movement of Christ. Jesus says, me too. How should this change our life? How should this change the way that we live day to day? And we can come to him freely, regardless of who you are and what you've done. No matter how morally stained you are, he can save you. He can save you. He can transform you, and He can make you as pure as snow. You got nothing that He can't handle. Nothing. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to put on your best clothes. You don't have to get your hair did. You don't have to do any of these things. You can come to church and wear a hat. It's okay. It's okay. You can do these things. We can come freely to God and be exactly who we are. We can come to him exactly who we are. When you read all these stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you go down this genealogy and you read all these stories, God accepted them as they were. You got to start somewhere. God accepted them just as they were. But then he used their sin. You read the stories. He used their sin and their brokenness for his purpose of bringing the Messiah. Because he loved them. He didn't leave them where they were. He grew them. He worked out his purpose through them. He brought them from point A to point B. Man, what's that mean for us? Man, it doesn't matter. God accepts you for exactly how you are in all of our ugly humanity, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He uses our sin and brokenness for his purposes, his great and significant purposes for his redemptive plan of the world and for your life. But he loves you so much that he doesn't leave you as you are. Man, he wants to change you. He wants to transform you into the image of Jesus. He wants to bring you from your point A to a point B. We all have that. We all have a point B. We all start somewhere. God's like, I accept you as you are, and he wants to take us to a point B. He wants to take us there. And this chain of sin and brokenness in his lineage, when you look at it, it goes name after name, brokenness after brokenness, and then it stopped with Jesus. That chain of sin and brokenness stopped with Jesus. Jesus can break our chain too. He can break our chain too. Whatever you got going on in your lineage, whatever, you know, 
You may you you may have something that just keeps getting passed down from from generation to generation. You know, like you know what? I want it to stop. I want it to stop with me. Well, folks, we need Jesus to do that. We can't do it in our own strength, in our own power. We need Jesus to do that. The truth of God's humanity in Christ, the truth of God's humanity in Christ should give us security. It should give us security. It should give us freedom. It should empower us to be both vulnerable with God. It should empower us to be vulnerable with him. It should empower us to be vulnerable with others in our communities. God's humanity in Christ should elevate our level of intimacy with God, which is our only hope. God's humanity in Christ should cause us to be malleable, to be malleable to change and to have its effect on our marriages, on our friendships, on our relationships, on our work, everywhere around us for our hearts to be malleable to change and to transformation. In those Star Wars movies, <laughs> when you peel back all of those layers that have built up over 40 years and you go back to that first movie, and I was trying to identify it as I was watching A New Hope. What is the core? Man, what is the core fundamental of this story? These 40 years. I was like, well, well it's not rocket science. It's in the title. <laughs> It's hope. It's hope. That is the core fundamental of the Skywalker saga in these movies. It's hope. It's hope in overcoming evil. And we love that message. That's why we love those movies. That's in our hearts. We love that message. Now, our desire for hope is embedded in us, and it plays itself out in movies. Now, in movies, hope comes from us. In movies, hope comes from us. In movies, we're overcoming evil. Some kind of a force. Well, guys, this is real life. We don't live in movies. This is real life, and hope comes from God. Hope comes from God and overcoming evil. But man, evil is working itself out in sin in us. So it's overcoming us. It's overcoming ourselves. We're our worst enemies. We're the empire. We're the imperial army. It's us. But that's what Christmas is. It's us, and only God can fix it. And he has done that through Jesus Christ. Man, that is the Christmas story. Let's pray.